0: don't know what that word is, maybe you're thinking, is that like a disease or something like that? Presuppositions, these things that we assume in advance. So there may be something that caused us to, to think something, whether it was someone mentioning something, we saw something, but it can cause us to have assumptions before something actually takes place. And so for instance, maybe you saw a trailer to a movie, like on a commercial or something, and you're like, oh, this is going to be so fantastic. Or other people have told you all about this movie, and you go and you watch it, And maybe your presuppositions are correct. Like it was amazing. And then maybe you're like, yep, that didn't meet kind of what I thought was going to happen. And so that can have presuppositions, either being correct or not. Sometimes it can happen with food. Like you sit down at a meal and it like, oh, this, this meal looks fantastic. And you take one bite and you're like, yep, appearances were not the same as how it tasted. Or maybe you even are told about a restaurant. And so you have these presuppositions going into it that this is going to be fantastic. or I'm going to enjoy the service. And maybe it meets what you thought was going to happen, or maybe it doesn't. You know, maybe that happened at one time when you went on a date with someone. You're like, okay, you have these presuppositions of how everything was going to turn out, and maybe it did, and maybe there was no second date because it was completely different. You know, maybe when we think about this idea of church, we realize that we actually have presuppositions. Like going into a church going, I wonder what this is going to be like. I have, you know, I've heard about the people or the worship service or whatever that looks like. And so sometimes we can have presuppositions about a church or even just coming to church on a certain morning. I think it's going to be this way. And sometimes it's accurate and sometimes it's not. Or sometimes we can even have topics that we talk about at church that we have presuppositions about. Like maybe someone taught us something when we were younger, or we've heard a word, but we've never actually looked into it. And so there are things that maybe we believe, but if you were to ask us why, we don't really have a great answer for that. And so one of the topics that we're talking about this week and next week is this idea of salvation, because sometimes that's a word that is thrown around. It's like, do you know what that means? Or what does it mean to receive the salvation? And how do I do that? And you go to different churches, you'll hear about prayer or baptism or Jesus or our response or different steps. When we look at scripture, there's a question that's asked multiple times. It's simply, what must I do to be saved? And so what we're going to do is we are going to look at that question and the answer that comes up over and over again in scripture as to what, uh, what does this thing of salvation mean and how do I grasp that? Now, let me tell you before we dive into what the sermon is, let me tell you what the sermon is not. Okay? So first off, this sermon is not bashing any other views or any other denominations, All right? Like, we are not preaching that anyone else is going to hell. And you may think, oh, man, does anyone do that? Unfortunately, there are some churches that do that. Not very many, but there are some that will go, this is the only way. And so I want you to understand that that is not what God wants. He wants us to be unified. He wants us to handle handle Scripture well. But those of you who are parents, I'm imagining that you're hoping your kids aren't just going to argue all day. Like, that's probably not what you're just hoping and dreaming that, man, they're going to just argue with one another. And, And God as a father doesn't want us just arguing with one another. He does want us handling scripture well. And so this is not meant just to yell at other denominations or even in your face right versus wrong, which is also important because the Christian church is actually kind of a melting pot. There are a lot of people in this room and watching online that have come from other denominations, and there's some things about like just going back to Scripture that are very appealing, and that's why the Christian church is one of the largest growing denominations just in this idea of we're looking to see what Jesus tells us. But even in saying that, there's a lot of differing opinions coming in here, but I want us to base ourselves off of Scripture and look at it this week. What is it that God tells us? Here's what this sermon is not as well. It is not looking at a verse and saying, what does this mean for me? Like that's not a good way to interpret what scripture is. If we do that, then we can make the word say a lot of things that it never was intended to say. There's this thing called the author's intended meaning also just called the AIM, A-I-M. And when you're interpreting scripture correctly, you should see what is it that the author was trying to communicate like to his audience. And then from that, we also go, God, what is it that applies to me? Like we shouldn't just read a verse and go, this makes me feel happy. Or this is how it goes. Like, that's not what God wants. We can look and say, this is the purpose, but this then is how it applies to me. And maybe that does make me happy, but there's an application that comes. So we're not just looking at verses going, so what do you think about that? Like, how do you feel? We're looking to see what God wants us to know. I'm also going to tell you that I'm not trying to just sway you according to an opinion that I might have. And again, presuppositions can be huge, but I tried to go into the study even a few years ago, like with an open mind, not just based off presuppositions that I might have. I read a lot of Bible verses. I read different books from different backgrounds, different denominations. Sometimes with their views, I would go, man, that's a weak argument, or I agree with that. And sometimes that was even with a viewpoint that I agreed with, but I'd be like, I don't think that's how that scripture is meant to be. And so we want to see what scripture's conclusion is. Here's also what this sermon is not. It is not taking one verse to build our entire theology on, and we're going to just ignore all these other verses in front of it, okay? Like, sometimes we can do that. We can take this verse, but then just say, this is what I want to believe, but it's important for us to know the context. It's important for us to put all the puzzle pieces together so that we understand what God wants, Like, I remember in college, this illustration, there are three verses that you can easily put together that like is not what God wants us to know. And so like, if you were to look at Matthew 27, 5, it says, Judas went and hanged himself. John 10 or Luke 10, 37 says, go and do likewise. And then John 13, 27 says, what you must do, do quickly. Like all of those are scripture, but if you put them together, Like, that is not the purpose. That is not the message that God wants us to have. And sometimes, if we go into Scripture going, this is what I want it to say, we can twist Scripture to make it say what we want it to say. And so we're going to look at context. We're going to use what's called harmonization. If there are two verses that are kind of hard to understand, we're going to understand that they don't conflict with one another. There's a way that they work together because God's word does not conflict with itself. And so we're going to use some of the easier or clearer passages to help us understand maybe the ones that are a little more difficult. So that's what this sermon is not, any of those things. But we are looking at this topic of salvation. And what does the Bible actually tell us? I'm going to tell you if this is your first time here, there are more verses in this sermon than most of our our sermons. So like, is this the way it always is? Not necessarily. I'm also going to tell you though, that a lot of our verses I'm using in multiple sections. Like I'll read it multiple times because there's a certain emphasis each time that I want you to hear from those verses. All right because there's so many, a lot of times I love for you to be in your word and turning. I'm not going to give you enough time to do that today. So you may still uh, turn there. You may also just write down the references. Um, all of these are in the church app. You can also go back and watch the video later again, if you want to know some of these verses, but I just want you to know that we're going to see what God's word says about this topic of salvation, both this week and next week. So let's jump in. What does the Bible say about salvation? Romans six twenty three. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. First Thessalonians 5, 9, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts four twelve, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind, which we must be saved. Acts 2.38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 22.16, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Romans 10 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. First Peter 3 21. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And our last verse in this section is Hebrews 7:25. It says, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. If you were to look at all of these versions and come up with a conclusion based on some of my underlining, we see this, that Jesus is who we need to be saved. Like salvation is impossible apart from Jesus. The whole gospel message is that you and I, we send, But God is perfect. And so there was a price that needed to be paid for this sin. And so Jesus took our place. He became a physical being. He took our punishment. He was emotionally humiliated. He was brutally beaten and killed. And he took our sin upon himself. And so because Jesus took our sin, grace was extended to us. Now, we use that word grace. It literally means this idea of a gift that is not deserved. We get something that we don't deserve. And if you think about it, you and I having the benefits of being perfect, even though we're sinners, even though oftentimes we are blatant sinners, man, that seems pretty undeserving to me. So you and I, we wouldn't even be having this conversation about salvation if it's not with Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the tomb. And so salvation, you cannot earn it just by being a good person. Like just by, oh, my good deeds outweigh the bad. That's not what scripture says at all. It tells us that Jesus is who we need to be saved. And I will tell you this point that we've looked at right now, that's believed by all denominations. Like those that are following Jesus, that unifies us. That Christ is the one who is the head of the body, not just one denomination. And that's why we're able to do interdenominational things because we're like, we agree on the main thing that we are saved by Jesus. And so I will tell you, the most important conclusion of this entire sermon is that we need Jesus, every single one of us. So that's the first conclusion. Let's see what scripture still tells us. And so we're gonna look at when the angels announced to the shepherds about the birth of Jesus in Luke 2, verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Matthew 28:19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Acts 2.38 says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Romans 10.13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Hebrews 2.9, but we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. First John 2.2 says he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And then in John chapter 10, verses 14 through 16, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Here's the conclusion from all of those verses that salvation is available to everyone. Salvation is available to everyone. It doesn't matter if you are of Jewish heritage or a Gentile, which is what that whole last verse about, hey, there are sheep that I have right now, and then there's other sheep that I'm going to go and get. So it doesn't matter. Both uh, receive salvation if they choose it. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your heritage is. It doesn't matter what your economic status is. It doesn't matter what side of the tracks you live on. It doesn't matter how old or how young you are, how smart or how popular you are, what good things you've accomplished, or how bad your bad things are that you don't want anyone else to know about. Jesus came to bring you salvation. He died so that all of us could have access to eternal life with him, and it cost him everything, and yet it's a free gift to anyone who would receive it. Now I will tell you, I don't have a lot of extra time today, but there are certain words like predestination and even election that sometimes people will see those and they actually come to a different conclusion. They don't think that salvation really is available to everyone. Like God chooses certain people and such like that. Let me just tell you again, without getting into it majorly today, it is my belief based on scripture that those terms do not mean that, that salvation really is for everyone. Now, having told you that, I will say that the unfortunate truth is not everyone will choose to accept it. Not everyone will choose it, even though it's right there. But I firmly believe, based on Scripture, that salvation is available to everyone. What else does Scripture tell us about salvation? Well, in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, it says, He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. In Acts chapter 16, verses 30 and 31, we have this jailer, and it says, He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Romans ten nine says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Galatians 3, 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, It is a gift from God. And so the third conclusion from those verses is this, that faith and belief are needed to be saved. Like the fact that Jesus died on the cross to atone for sin does not automatically just save everyone. There's still a response needed by us. Now, faith is not a work. It's not something that qualifies us that, oh, well, now that you are deserving of this, but it does tell God that I believe you are who you say you are. I believe that you love me. I know that you are the only one that can save me through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I will tell you, it doesn't mean that you know everything. But I want you to think about that. No relationship on earth do you know everything about the other person right off the bat, or even sometimes even a little ways into it. I mean, how many friends continue to surprise you? You know, how many of you actually knew your spouse 100% by the time you married them? Like you continue to grow in those relationships. But this is what it does mean. It does mean that I understand, man, I'm a sinner. And the only way that I can live with this perfect and holy God is to accept the salvation that he offers to me. Faith. Faith belief, that is needed in this salvation process. And just for teaching purposes, that's why you don't see at South Rock, we do infant baptisms. Like there's no faith and belief in that. Yes, of the parents, but of the kids, there's not. And so again, not putting down any other denominations, but as we're trying to follow scripture, that's the reason that we choose to do what we do. Okay, let's continue reading and seeing what the Bible tells us about salvation. Acts 2.38 says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 3.19, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Acts 17.30, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now commands all people everywhere to repent. Acts 26.20, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. In Luke 13.3, says, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. In Luke 15.10, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. 2 Corinthians 7.10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and it leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And in James, when he's talking about faith and deeds in chapter two, verses 18 and 19, it says, but someone will say, you have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. And I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Here's the fourth conclusion that faith in Jesus leads to repentance. Okay, now that's not a word that we just use a whole lot of times outside of here, but repent means to change one's mind, change one's attitude, change one's purpose. And so it's kind of like a U-turn, that I'm going this direction, and now all of a sudden I'm going the other way. I mean, what good really is it saying, yes, Jesus, I am a sinner. I need you. I want to accept that you died for me, and I want to live for you. But then you live the exact same lifestyle. If you have true belief or true faith, it causes you to repent. It is a response of what God has done for you. I mean, even in other scripture we read about when I come to Jesus, it is a dying to myself. I am no longer the one in charge. There's this change that happens. And here's an honest question. If you don't repent when you choose Jesus, do you really understand the amazing thing that God has done for you? Or do you just kind of want some fire insurance or whatever that's like? And again, this doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't even mean that you have to be perfect before you come to Jesus. Like I've heard that quite a few times in conversations. Oh, there's a few things I need to clean up and then I'm ready to choose Jesus. You realize that's kind of like cleaning the house before the maid comes in? Like some of you may still do that. I don't know. But like we got to fix this before someone else. Like that is what Jesus wants to do. He wants to come in and work in our lives. And then his spirit And his spirit helps us to repent daily so that we are living for him. Repentance, it means I am going one way in life that I am living for myself, but now I turn and I choose to follow wherever God leads because he is my Lord, he is my master, he is my God. And so when we talk about belief, I would argue that true belief means there is action tied to it. It is not just knowledge. Like if I believe that a certain kind of ice cream is better than everything else, I'm going to be buying that more than other things. And so in this case, there is a response that comes with it because our last verse, the demons have knowledge. Like they would tell you, I believe Jesus. He is the son of God, but there is no action. There is no submission. There is no obedience. I will also tell you this though. Repentance is an action. It cannot save you by yourself. That's why works cannot save you. I can't come to a point where I realize that I've messed up and just try to be a good person and now be saved. That's not the way it works. Jesus's sacrifice is still what I need to be saved. And so I would argue based on scripture, that true belief and faith in Jesus, it leads to repentance in my life. The last area we're looking at today, Acts chapter 22, verse 16. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. In Romans 10, 13, it says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. Luke 12, eight, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the son of man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. And then in first John 4, 15, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. So here's conclusion number five that faith in Jesus leads to confession. There's a confession. Like if you really do believe in Jesus, it should lead us to telling other people about that. And yes, part of that is evangelism. That's a sermon for another time. But part of it is saying, I am not ashamed to live for Christ or this is who I choose to follow. This is who the one that holds my allegiance. It's also telling Jesus, you are who you say you are. And I believe that. And sometimes... In church, we'll talk about having a personal faith. This is my faith. I own it. I believe this. And that's very important, but it doesn't mean that you keep it to yourself. That is not what personal faith means. True faith means that I am allowing Christ to lead me to share what I know to be true. If we use that word believe, I mean, we know it to be true. It's not just wishful thinking. And so this confession piece is why whenever you see baptisms here, we have people repeat the words that say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God and my Lord and Savior. There's nothing magical about those words, but the truth being proclaimed there is that I believe that Jesus is who I need to be saved. I turn my life around. I'm repenting and I'm ready to live for him. In some churches, you'll hear of what's called the prayer of salvation, and that's what's happening here. There's this confession, this repentance of of wanting to turn to God, and so that's where they get this idea of tying in repentance and confession and belief all together. So today, as we're just talking about this idea of salvation, it is solely based on Jesus. It is available to everyone, and we respond with belief and repentance and confession. And next week, we're going to come back because we're not done. We're going to finish up this topic. I'm just going to tell you right now, a lot of what we're going to look at is baptism because that seems to be such a sticky topic between different denominations. And I don't think it has to be if you just simply look at Scripture. And so for some of you today... These scriptures maybe have helped you understand some things, like that's actually pretty simple. Maybe it even has helped you to be able to explain it to somebody else. The idea that Jesus came to die for you, like it's a free gift. It is free to anyone, and you just respond by believing and repenting and confessing his name. Like maybe for some of you, through the verses that we've looked at today, like your presuppositions have kind of been challenged. And so maybe what it is, is going back and going, I want to look at scripture, the things that maybe I've been taught before or looking at today. I like, don't just take my word for it. Open up God's word and see how everything comes together so that you know what you believe and why. I would also tell you that some of you today have heard this message about salvation, hearing that, man, Jesus died for me. I need his forgiveness. And you've been thinking about baptism for a while. Like it's kind of been there. Should I do this? Should I not? Can I encourage you, if that's you whatsoever, Why don't you come next week being ready? Bring some clothes, ready to be obedient in baptism if that's the way that God's spirit works on you. But I would also tell you, some of you hearing the truth of scripture today, there's already something stirring inside of you and you don't want to wait till next week. Like we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so today, if you're like, I want this salvation, I need to be saved. I need this forgiveness of Jesus. then while we're singing here in just a moment, I would encourage you to head to the prayer room. If there's other things that are just going on in your life and you need prayer, we want to come alongside of you as the family of God. For the rest of us, the song that we're singing, it's a confession. It's a song about we're wanting to build our life upon Jesus. And so if... If you have a decision that you want to make, I encourage you to go that way. The rest of us, let us sing these words saying, Jesus, we need you. Even if we chose you a long time ago, we continually need you and want to live completely for you. Let's stand and sing.